shoes and the gum shoes make their way out. The rest of you can turn your Bibles to John chapter number 11. John chapter number 11. Well, it's been an eventful service so far this morning, and I hope you've enjoyed it. John chapter 11. I'm, last week I introduced to you a new series that I want to cover over the next many weeks. I don't know how many weeks it'll take us to get through it, but it'll take a little while, uh, and that's okay. Uh, I think I entitled our series, God, Where Are You? God, Where Are You? And last week we kind of talked just a little basic on introductory about the experiences of life that all of us have at times where we wonder where God is in the middle of our time of crisis. Um, this morning we are going to begin in John chapter 11 as we look through the entirety of the story of a family that is in crisis. And most of you this morning here, I know, and probably most of you are watching online, know that the story of Martha and Mary and Lazarus and Lazarus' sickness and how Jesus brings him back to life. But certainly in the first part of the story, none of them knew the rest of the story. I'm thankful today that you and I know the rest of the story. Uh, but our text this morning, we're going to, Lord willing, cover the first three verses of John chapter 11 as we begin our way through this chapter. So I direct your attention to John chapter 11 and verse number one. The Bible says, now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that, it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Let's pray, and we'll get into God's word this morning. Lord, it's been good to be here today, uh, just to sing together, to hear some wonderful singing, and uh, just be reminded of the greater hope and the greater freedom that is found in a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that um, today as we begin this journey through John chapter 11, God, may you work, may you enlighten us, and may it be applicable to our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, um, you guys hear me okay? I felt like I lost my volume. You guys turned me down back there. See, I already, I already ticked the sound guys off. They, they turned me off. Um, one, two, three, one, two, three. There we go. Thank you. Now I'm back. Uh, you, know, you know, I always say, when Satan fell out of heaven, first he fell in the choir loft, and once he got tired of there, he went into the sound room. Um, Okay, no? Right. Apparently, none of you have ever volunteered in the audio-video department. It's, it's not as easy as it may appear. Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult ministry. All right, uh, John chapter 11, and today I want to begin this story, and the Bible begins by giving us the circumstances of the family as well as the first actions they take to solve their problem. Lazarus is very sick, and the Lord isn't there. But they know where he is, and they know how they can reach him. And so uh, this morning, if you saw my uh, title slide, thank you, Allie, for making this. Uh, I love her, her title slide. They, they send the Lord Jesus a, a, a PM. I didn't know whether to use the term PM or private message. So I called my video uh, expert, and who's a lot younger than me, that'd be my daughter, and said, how do I do this title slide? Do I put it that sending Jesus a private message, or do, I send, do, I, do we put it Jesus, sending Jesus a PM? And she said, Dad, no matter which way you do it, half the church is not going to understand. 
And I said, so who do, who do we relate to then? So we're going to relate to the young people. All the people here under the age of 40 understand this. If you're over the age of 40, look at somebody who's under the age of 40 or your teenager, and they can explain this, this title slide to you. Uh, I, I kind of liked, Allie, you got into the details where you can see that it's being sent to Jesus up there in the corner of the, the phone. At the bottom it says, you know, your message is where are you? You know, just <laughs> so um, I think I need to get that in my phone. Uh, you know, wouldn't that be something? Dear Jesus, where I need you now, you know. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, I don't think it's really as much different as maybe you think. Uh, so this morning, I want to share with you two things about private messaging Jesus and what that entails. Number one, it's a personal message. It's a personal message. Notice in verse number one, there was a certain man that was sick. It's not just some arbitrary man, but it was a certain man. And I'm so glad that when, it, as a child of God, if you are a believer here this morning, that you are precious to God and that he shed his blood uh, for you, that you receive that gift and that God loves you so very much that when you go through things, God doesn't look at it as some arbitrary, but God knows you are a certain person and he knows, just like with Lazarus, that Lazarus was sick. Now, the Bible tells us his name, his place of residence, and his family members. I love the way the Bible is so specific in the information it gives. Most other, quote-unquote, holy books very much don't like to do this because if you give exacting information, you can be held to an exacting standard. One of the things, the reasons I'm a Christian is the Bible from Old Testament into New Testament gives specific names, specific places, and, and archaeology and other evidence verifies uh, what the Bible has to say. Matter of fact, whenever you hear somebody, and this isn't even in my notes, this is free this morning, but if you're watching the History Channel or something, and they say something, say, this, this is wrong. the Bible says this, but we know the Bible's wrong. Can I, can I kindly encourage you to understand that when it comes to who ends up being right and who ends up being wrong, even from an archaeological standpoint, the Bible's always right. So when it comes down to choosing to believe some PhD on the History Channel or what the Scriptures record, I'd humbly submit to you that the Bible has a far greater reliability standard and score than Mr. PhD. But that, that's, that's, a, that's free there this morning. A certain man. And Jesus as we'll find out, and even as we begin this morning, see in verse number one, that God knew, and Jesus knew this family, but they knew Jesus too. It wasn't a one-way relationship. Matter of fact, you read through the Bible in the New Testament, we find in Luke chapter 10, uh, it gives us the idea that Jesus was regularly at their home whenever he was in the area of Jerusalem. This was his uh, home away from home, if you would. And uh, even if Luke chapter 10 records, remember how Martha and Mary, Martha's arguing with uh, the Lord and with Mary, how come she's doing this and I'm doing all the work? And, you know, Jesus was there so much that he got into the real problems of the family. Not make-believe things, but what was really going on in the family, and Jesus knew about that. You know, the great thing I love about Jesus is even though he knew about their problems and their struggles and their interpersonal relationship conflicts, he still kept going back to the house. He didn't give up on them and say, oh, you guys are fighting. If you were really Christians, you'd figure this out. No, Martha and Mary, they were typical sisters, and I'm sure if Mary were here this morning to say, yeah, I was always right, and if Martha were here this morning, bless God, she'd say she was always right. I don't know, but uh, they were both, in my opinion, Martha and Mary are both heroes of the faith, not just Mary. Uh, I think they had different giftedness, but bottom line was Jesus knew them, and they knew Jesus. He was welcome in their home. Well, there's a sermon right there. Is Jesus welcoming your home? Is he welcoming your home enough? Are you honest enough to know and admit to him and let him see some of the ugliness that's in your house? They knew him. And we know that Mary, being the one who was very tuned in to worship, and as Jesus said, she did choose the greater thing, 
worship over service, but service should be an outgrowth of worship. But they knew him and to the point that the worship of the Messiah took place inside their home. Wow. Do worship and does worship take place inside our homes? You know, sometimes we're in our families, we have different, we all have, we do, we have different giftedness, and Martha and Mary are very different people, and I personally believe Martha worshiped the Lord in her own way, and, and, and I think she, as we find out in this chapter, she knew clearly who Jesus was, but I love it when you have somebody in your family, and um, it just seems like sometimes God will, in his spirit, puts upon individuals an extra measure of that, the worship mentality, the, the vision to see, the understanding, hey, this is a worship opportunity here. And that's, that's who Mary was. And they received Jesus as they recognized who he was, and there was a mutual relationship. One of the problems that first unbelievers, that they want God in their life, and they say, where is God? But every time God, and God tries to reach them through the, the Spirit of God, they keep saying no to God. It is amazing to me how often and how frequently we, we want God to be right where we want him to be when we've rejected him over and over again. Now, I'm thankful for the mercy and the grace of God that I believe is never-ending and is new every single day. But even in the life of the believer, I know believers who, who don't want God in any other area of their life. They don't want God in how they live in their family. They don't want God to be really in, in, aware, and they don't want to acknowledge before him their own personal struggles. But as soon as a problem comes, then all of a sudden, God, where are you? That was not Martha and Mary and Lazarus. I'm so glad that God knows. The Bible's really clear on this. Jesus himself in John chapter 10 said, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even them that believe, simple faith, on his name. Romans 5.8, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. As Jesus would tell the religious leader Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he used an Old Testament illustration when the people have, had rejected God and they were disobedient to God and they had poison in their veins from poisonous snakes and they were all dying. And God sets up, says Moses set up a, on a pole a brazen serpent and whoever looks will live. And Jesus uses that as a simple picture of salvation. In John chapter 3, he says to Nicodemus, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Very, very simple. People today want to make salvation and a relationship with God and establishing it so difficult. Moses put the, the, the snake on the pole and, and basically said, if you've been bitten by the snake, if you know that you've got poison in your veins and you're about to die, all you need to do is wheel yourself, crawl yourself, however you do, get to that pole and look and live. And all you got to do to go to heaven is understand that in our veins blows, flows the, the sting of death called sin. And we all have that poison in our veins, and yet God put his suffering servant on a pole, and whoever will look will live. I hope and pray that you've made that relationship with God, because he desires to have it with you. No, you know, he doesn't. Yes, he does. He, he did so much that he sent his son to die for you. And unlike some theologically who would say it's only meaningful to those who receive it, I believe that God sent his son to die for the sins of the whole world, 
and even understanding that many would reject the love he was extending, God still extended it. And so should we. You know, it must have been a great comfort to know when Lazarus was sick, to know where Jesus was. But you know, today, I don't know about you, but I know where Jesus is. According to the scriptures, he's at the right hand of God, right? He's in heaven. He's our, he's our intermediary. I know where he is, and I know how I can access him. We call it prayer. We can send him a personal message, just as they did, as Martha and Mary, the first thing they do when they are confronted with a situation in their life that's bigger than them, they say, well, let's send a message to Jesus. It's the right thing to do. And as I mentioned, Mary, when she did this act of worship that really took place after this, John writes it and puts it in his, in his gospel here to remind all the readers, uh, hey, this is that Mary, the one that we, everybody has great reverence for. In the time of trial, we're going to see how she responds. Matter of fact, in that act of worship in Mark chapter 14, the Bible says, Verily I say unto you, and Jesus speaking here, Whosoever this gospel or wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. When Mary took her alabaster box of precious ointment and anointed Jesus for the burial, Jesus took that act of worship and said, You know what? Every time the gospel is presented, it's a reminder of what she did. Bottom line is, not only did these people know Jesus, but verse number two tells us this Mary, as a representation really of what went on in that house, they, they were serious about their faith. They were committed followers. And yet, as we're going to read, they had some big problems. They had some big suffering. They had a lot of questions. And they struggled knowing where God was. It's a very personal message. Whatever your situation to start in John 11, know that if you're a believer, you can... You can send the Lord a personal message. And you're not strange or like anybody else if you're going through something and you say, well, I didn't think Christians had these problems. Yeah, Christians have these problems. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I can go there, hon. Don't think, don't think that things that you read about in the news or that happen to the neighbors, don't think they can't happen to you. They can. And when they do, I don't know what people do who don't have Jesus to turn to. You can, I know the world laughs at us and says, oh, a bunch of weak, you gotta have a bunch of crutches and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's easy for them to say that in their little podcasts and all that, but just wait till some of the life issues happen to them. Let's see how cocky they are about 
but it hurts. It's very personal. Um, secondly, I'm, I'm going to move on because I need to. Not only was it a personal message, but it was an informative message. Notice in verse number three, in light of the fact that it was a certain man, Lazarus, and knew the name of the town, where they were from, and the name of all the family, and they were a committed family. In light of that, therefore, his sisters sent unto him, unto Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Now, this is where things take a little bit of a twist with the therefore. Because they had this personal relationship with Jesus and they had a big problem, they sent him a message. And it seems if things must have really gotten bad for Lazarus here because the question is, why didn't they send a message sooner? Now, many would think, and I'd probably be in agreement with that, maybe they didn't send a message sooner because while Lazarus was able to, he was saying to his sisters, no, don't bother Jesus. He's really busy in his ministry. And as we're going to find out, he needed to leave that area because Jesus was in physical danger near our house right now. So he doesn't need to come back here. And, and really, you know, don't you love it when men tell you wives, if you're married and you're married, does your husband say, oh, honey, I'm just fine? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, men, men, how do I say this? Men are not very good at handling sickness. Can I get an amen from all the women in here? Matter of fact, I, I thought I'd give you a little example. Uh, you know, I like to bring a little comedy to the, well, no, truth. Good comedy is based on truth. And here you go, ladies, you'll enjoy this meme that we have for you. During labor, the pain is so great that a woman can almost imagine what a man feels when he has a fever. Right, ladies? Oh, we men, we're pretty, oh, no, no. All I know is maybe it got to the point that Lazarus is now unconscious and his sisters say, okay, this is beyond, I don't care what Lazarus thinks, get the messengers, get the people who deliver those. I don't know if they had, you know, uh, DoorDash, Jesus Dash. I don't know what they had in that day, but get them on the, you know, get them here. And we had a message that we're going to give and send it there. And Lazarus is just out of it. You know, and they send this message and they say, Jesus, him that thou lovest is sick. And I'm glad again that we can go to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. And when bad things happen, I hope you're like me and our first response as Christians ought to be okay. I need to pray about that. Now, there are some that will tell you that God will always answer prayer the way you pray it. There's some theology today that says if you have just enough faith and you pray it fervently enough that God is obligated to do what you want him to do. Now, I do believe God is obligated to keep his word because God never lies. But God is not obligated to do whatever you and I think he ought to do because we quote some verse of scripture. The Bible is very clear that God will never do anything that is contrary to his will. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 14, and this is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will he heareth us second as i mentioned god does not respond because we demand by some formula or in some way we force his hand i I, some of these people that name it claim it i'm like man do you not realize that god is sovereign god is holy god is omniscient god is omnipotent and you are not and i personally think it's the height of arrogance the way some of these people pray as if God is their magic genie in a bottle. 
doesn't work that way. And life experience will tell you it doesn't work that way. Has God answered all your prayers the way you want them? Hadn't me. That's where faith comes in, where I step back and recognize the fact that God sees and does things and allows things and people make choices and all kinds of factors that I can never get a full grasp on, but I trust Him. But thirdly, in prayer, always remember that God loves His children. God loves you. Romans chapter 8, who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, nothing. So when it comes to prayer, realize God is sovereign and will never do anything contrary to his will. And second, remember that he doesn't respond by some demand that we make. And third, that God always loves you. You keep those three things in mind, and as you pray about whatever your situation is, you'll stay balanced. Doesn't mean you're going to have all the things you understand. Doesn't mean you're going to understand always why God allows what he allows. But you can have faith and believe in God in some point in time. Maybe you get to heaven, God will explain it more to you. I don't know. But I do know I'm thankful that I can call on my Savior and know that he loves me. One thing I do know when painful times come in my life, it's time to call out to God. Now, it's interesting to me as I thought about this passage this week. Let me ask you a question. If you had a sibling that you were close to, a sibling you actually like, I like all my siblings. Just love them all. Margaret and Steve, you know, you're okay. Mom and Dad like you. They love me. Um, But if you have a problem in your family and one of your loved ones is near death and you know you can pray, what would you say? If I said to you, hey, you got, I know you got this big problem and here's an opportunity, you can send a message to Jesus. Get your telegram all filled out and we'll get the, the pale riders or somebody to jump on their horses and off they go. What would you say? I thought about that and as I thought about the things I would say, forgive me here, but I, I read verse number three and the sister sent Jesus a message and they say, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick period. Um, At the risk of being, you know, I'll talk to Martha and Mary one day in glory and ask them, what were you thinking? This is all you can say when you send it, maybe this messenger you had to pay by letter? I don't don't know. I mean, was there some kind of thing? Is this what you're going to tell him? I mean, they, they tell Jesus, the messengers get there and they say, Lord, behold, all right, God, I need you to understand. I need you to get a good look at the situation. As if, do you think God doesn't know your situation? You need to get God behind. Hey, God, behold, take a, I know you might not be aware that I'm in the middle of this problem over here, but let me bring it to your attention. The bottom line is I thought about this message, the request over and over. The problem with it when it comes to being a type of prayer is They didn't ask for anything. Here's here's a quote. I probably give a quote of credit to Ed Underwood. He and I maybe in collaboration a little bit, but in your prayer life, make a request 
not a report. In your prayer life, make a request and not a report. Here's a family in crisis and their heart is breaking. The pressure and the fear is mounting. Lazarus is dying and they send Jesus Lazarus's medical report. As I consider these verses and you study what prayer is to the believer and how we are to pray, what did Jesus say in Luke eleven nine? 9? And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find, not going to be open unto you. John 14, 13. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if ye shall ask anything in my name, Jesus compared it to the spiritual battle in Mark chapter 11. He said, Verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever, things, whatsoever you desire, when ye pray, believe that you shall receive them, and ye shall have them. Woo! What is the mountain in your life that needs to be moved? When Jesus talks about praying for a mountain, I, when we go through life of Messiah, I'll make this clear from a Jewish perspective, but the bottom line is Jesus is not trying to say to you and I that you can go move Mount Cheha if you pray hard enough. There's no spiritual application there. In the Old Testament, mountains were symbols of adversaries and, and, and adversity in your life and the mountains that each of us have to face every day. And is there a mountain in your life that, that, that you need to have enough faith to believe and ask? Take it. Move it. This is what James says when he writes to dispersed believers who are under tremendous persecution. And if you don't understand this, Growth Group and Pastor, Pastor Danny's teaching through the book of James. You can watch it on our live stream or, or on, our, on our sermons. You can go back and look through it. Bottom line is James, being who James is, very blunt, very direct, my kind of guy. In James chapter 4, you guys know these verses. Verse number 2, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain, ye fight in war. Why? Ye have not why because ye ask not verse three ye ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust now little deductive and inductive thinking here if james says ye have not because ye ask not the clear implication is there are things in our life that we do not possess simply because we never asked for them You know, even Jesus, when he taught on prayer, which I always, whenever I talk on prayer, I always wind my way back to how Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as, as it is in heaven. Starts out recognizing God is sovereign, just like I told you. God is, in, God is in charge. I submit to God. I understand he's holy. He knows things I don't know. But notice the very first thing in the Lord's Prayer after recognizing the sovereignty and the holiness of God is give us this day our daily bread. Ask for something. And I don't know how you have been in your life. I don't know all your stories. But I can tell you in my life and Jenny and I and our family life experience, God called us into a time in our life where we had no money, none at all, and we literally had to pray every single day, and it became very real to me, and I can never read Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 11 without taking back to that time where I didn't know how we were going to buy the next day's groceries, I didn't know how we were going to pay the next bill, but yet night after night I'd lay in bed and I'd say, give us this day our daily bread. 
ask for something. Sometimes when we go through hard times, we struggle knowing if God is there. But when you do go through the hard times and your heart is crushed, just as those believers in the book of James, I don't believe the people in the book of James were asking God, I want you to upgrade my house. They were just asking God, give me some light tonight, I can have a roof over my head. You see, we think we have all these things we really need, but when you're the one in the hospital, in the waiting room, with your loved one edging on death, that you can't imagine living without, it's amazing how it streamlines what's really important. Those are the things that we should be asking for. And sometimes the mountains that are in my life are revealed most clearly when I'm in agony. When life has busted me up. And that's why oftentimes believers don't want to pray all too personal to God, and instead they just rather pray an informative prayer, informing God what's going on in my life, implying, God, I need you to fix it all, instead of dealing with the real issues in my life. And I would also submit to you that sometimes we don't pray dangerous prayers because we don't have the faith and we don't know what to do if God doesn't do what we think he ought to do or whatever, he doesn't answer my prayer in the way, then what, what's anybody else going to think, whatever else? I, I don't think we like to pray da- dangerous prayers because we don't want God to tread on some of those areas that are right deepest in our heart. Pray dangerously. I, I think some of the folks that are here have been in this church a long time. I know Brother Matt's shared more than once that some of the early men's leadership team meetings, I scared the men to death. They'd say, we, but we can't, but we can't do that. But, 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 we don't have the money to do that. But, 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 we're not going to do that. But, 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 but. And I'd say, no, we're going to pray and we're going to do it. God's going to do it. Watch. What is it that God wants to do in your life that you're too afraid to ask him for? Partly because you know, you know to get where God wants to get you, there's some things in your life that are going to have to be moved out. Doesn't scare you, doesn't count. Got to scare you. Don't make requests, or make requests, not reports. Several years ago, um, I'll save it for another time. Um, two years ago, today, my family endured a great loss. I'll be real candid with you. I did not want to be here today. I do not want to preach today. 
but this is what God's called me to do, and I asked him to let me out of it, but Pastor Danny's too much of a weenie to preach, so um, couldn't call on him because he's got COVID. Just kidding. Sorry, Pastor Danny. You're my hero. No, God said, no, you, you need to do, you need to do. I said, God, you know what I'm preaching on today. I'm preaching on a family that lost a sibling. Do it. So I did. I'm going to tell you, I don't really want to tell you what I'm going to tell you, but he wants me to tell you, so I'm going to tell you. Two years ago today, my 16-year-old nephew took a firearm and ended his own life in my brother's bedroom. A family that's committed to full-time Christian ministry I know in my own life the draw of suicide and again don't think me weak you can I don't care I guess I'm to that point in my life I'm old enough now I don't care you you have enough pain in your life and you will look for a way out and at some point Satan will make sure that it's the best for everybody involved and you believe a lie and my family's lives will never be the same and I imagine this morning there are those of you I'm talking to or online or here in person that have lost a loved one to suicide but 16 years old and you know when things like this happen, you live with a lot of regret. You live with a lot of unanswered questions. You live with a lot of, what could I have done better? And you look back and you realize, I could have done a lot of things better. What difference maybe could I have made? And yet, here we are. If you have issues in your life, I, I just want to beg you, please, find someone, talk to someone, and I promise you, you may think, oh, nobody really cares, nobody really loves me. Yes, somebody loves you. And I'm going to tell you that since two years ago today, my prayer life's a little bit different. I try my best in being done with giving God reports and instead make a request. Holy Spirit of God, thank you for the teaching today. Thank you for the hope that we have. Lord, I know, I know, I know, I know by the promise of your word that my nephew's in your presence. God, forgive those who believe that suicide keeps someone out of heaven. Forgive them for their misunderstanding of your word. Thank you for your grace and your gift that is 
eternal from that moment of faith. Holy Spirit of God, I pray if there's one here today that doesn't know they're on their way to heaven, maybe you're a person that like found yourself in life that you just have no hope, my friend, would you give God a chance? Would you send him a personal message? He's sending it out to you. He loves you. Would you respond? But how about it today, dear believer? Yeah, maybe you're like Mary and Martha. Maybe you're good servants. Maybe you're, you're faithful, and, but yet bad things are happening in your life. You don't know what to do. My friend, would you bear your heart to God today? And whatever that deepest need really is, have the courage to ask. Holy Spirit of God, I pray for all those here today that have endured a great loss one way or another. Lord, I know in our audience today and in our online audience, there are moms that have lost a child, dads that have lost a child, folks that have endured the pain of suicide in their family. God, may we be reminded that we can come and find rest in our relationship with you. Thank you again, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your finished work. Thank you for the empty tomb. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand with me? And Brother Hunter's going to lead us in a verse of...